the following message entitled, Alcohol, A Gift from God or a Poison from Which to Abstain. Part of the series, Real Life Wisdom, was given by Joe Ryer on October 27, 2013 at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. If you have a Bible, open up to Proverbs chapter 1. My name is Joe, and if I haven't met you yet, um, welcome to Sovereign Grace Church. You just witnessed what I think is the funniest new member Sunday I've ever seen since I've been in the church, which is about 16 or 17 years. So we had interpretive dancing, we had a bunny named Gizmo, Uh, that was something. And uh, I'm a sports fan, so I would say about this class that just joined, they have huge upside, and they're going to fit in great around here. I, I feel very positive about that. Well, just so happens we're going to be talking about drinking this morning as well. Um, we are in the middle of a series on Proverbs, and today is the second to last message, and the message is going to be on the subject of alcohol and what the Bible has to say about it. And so the title of this message, the series is called Real Life Wisdom, and the title for this particular message is the following, Alcohol, a gift from God or a poison to abstain from. Alcohol, a gift from God or a poison to abstain from. Is it a gift from God or is it a poison to abstain from? Well, throughout church history, Christians have had very strong stances and opinions about the answer to that question. Some have viewed it as a gift from God. Others have viewed it as a poison to abstain from. This is one of those subjects that, in this room, I would assume there's a very wide spectrum of conviction and opinion and perspective. And like many subjects, I think this one, in a, in a kind of a unique way, our own personal experience with alcohol, our family experience with alcohol, our family history, possibly our current occupation, and our church background often has a huge shaping influence on how we answer that question. Is alcohol a gift from God or a poison to abstain from? It really, our our past and our, our family background and all these shaping influence really can affect if we stay far away from alcohol or if we can enjoy a beer for the glory of God. Now, these differing opinions are not unique to our day. In this book called Gray Matters, an author uh, by the name of Brett McCracken, he wrote the last three chapters of his book on the subject of alcohol. And in this, he has a, an interesting timeline of Christians and their take on alcohol. So I just want to give you a couple snapshots, just so you see the kind of diversity of opinion throughout the centuries in the church, A.D. 27 or 28, Jesus performs a miracle and he turns 120 to 180 gallons of water into wine. In the second century, a guy by the name of St. Clement, 
he publishes the first what is called a, a scholarly treatment on the subject of alcohol. So he gave it careful consideration and thought. In 1620, the Puritan John Winthrop, as he was traveling to the Massachusetts Bay Colony, he brought with him 10,000 gallons of wine, three times as much beer as water. So you know where he stood on the subject. 1670, we're, we're Lord willing, going to have an ordination. Bob's going to be ordained at the end of November. Um, in 1670, this is what was common at ordinations. Hard cider was a staple of ordinations in apple-rich New England. So to ordain a pastor was to drink um, alcoholic cider as well. A couple more. 1759, Arthur Guinness opens his brewery in Dublin. He was a Christian. He eventually uses money from his success to found charities, Christian charities, hospitals, and Sunday school programs. Gives you a different view of the Guinness commercials you might see. 1770, 1780, if you've ever wondered how all the vineyards in California started, um, many of them started from Spanish Catholics planting vineyards in California as they had missions up and down the coast. Tide kind of turned in the 1800s. 1805, America's first temperance sermon entitled The Fatal Effect of Ardent Spirits, followed in 1826 by another well-known pastor at the time who preached six sermons on the nature, occasion, signs, and evils of alcohol. Here's one that was interesting that you might not know. In 1869, Methodist pastor Thomas Welch important last name, invents a a method of pasteurizing grape juice so that it isn't fermented, and he persuades local churches to use his grape juice in communion, Dr. Welch's unfermented wine. He's the guy who started Welch's grape juice, and he did it because of his stance on alcohol. Into the 1900s, 1933 through 1949, you might have heard of this group, the Inklings, it's a group of famous authors, including C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, Charles William, and they met at a place called the Eagle and Child Pub in Oxford for beer-aided literary discussions. So, you know where they stand. Two more, or one more. John MacArthur, 2011. You know who John MacArthur is, you know where he stands. He um, wrote, I think, a fatherly pastoral concern that challenged younger Christians to, to rethink their, what he thought was a reckless approach to alcohol. So throughout the centuries, the church has been kind of all over the place. Some were able to see it as a gift from God. Others saw the damage of drunkenness and, and raised the alarm and had great concern. Well, I think it's a fair question to ask if it's so controversial, and there's so many opinions on the subject, why teach it? Why, why stir the pot? Well, the reason is, is because as pastors, we want our opinions, we want the church's opinions, convictions, and thoughts to be shaped by God's Word. We want to think carefully through what I think is a difficult and complex subject. And we want to do so for the sake of Christian unity, for the sake of loving brothers and sisters who have different convictions, 
So the aim really would be unity in Christ, not division over the subject. And I think this may be one of those messages where I may offend every one of you this morning at some point. That is not my goal, but it just might happen. And so what I'd ask you is, as we go through these points, they really have to hold as a whole together. So be slow to react to the first point or to the second point or to the third point without considering them all together. We're in a series of Proverbs, which is how we got to this subject. This is going to be more topical and go broader in the Bible than Proverbs, but I wanted to start with Proverbs chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, look at Proverbs chapter 1. This is the purpose of Proverbs, starting at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's pray and ask the Lord for wisdom. Lord, we thank you for just all the truths we sung about this morning. We thank you for how lavish you are in your grace. We thank you for the freedom from the slavery to sin, Jesus, that you had made possible by dying on the cross for our sins. Holy Spirit, we thank you for the new birth and new life. And Lord, we, we pray for wisdom. We pray for unity in the church, in this local church. Unity that would come when you're at the center. Lord, help us to be slow and careful as we consider this subject. And help us to be persuaded by your word and by your spirit. And Lord, we pray where, wherever we land on this subject that we would be able to bring you honor and glory and Lord, pray especially for those who have been harmed and hurt by the abuse and misuse of alcohol. Lord, would you please comfort them and draw near to them this morning. Lord, I just ask for your help and ask this in your name. Amen. Remember the rules? You've got to listen to it as a whole. So the question, a gift from God or a poison to abstain from? Point number one. Alcohol is a gift from God that, if rightly handled, can be enjoyed in a God-honoring way. Alcohol, I believe from the Bible, is a gift from God that, if rightly handled, and that little phrase, if rightly handled, very important, can be enjoyed in a God-honoring way. Alcohol is a gift from God that can be enjoyed. Psalm 104, verses 14 and 15. Psalmist writes, You cause the grass to grow for the the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth, and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's hearts. 
So from the psalm, I think we see that God gave us wine and food, and in this case oils, to gladden the heart of man. That in and of itself, it was intended to be a gift from God. If, if, big if, rightly handled. God is the great creator. He is generous. He is lavish. And he loves to give gifts to his children and to people who don't know him. Ecclesiastes 9.7 says, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Once again, like, like bread, wine is seen as a gift from God. Not many qualifications in that, that short little verse. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 5, he encourages his, his son in the faith to drink wine to help his stomach. 1 Timothy 5.23 No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. So the key there, a little wine. Not excess, but a little wine. Now there are some Christians that have taught over the centuries that the wine, there's actually two kinds of wine in the New Testament. One that has alcohol in it and one that is more akin to grape juice. There really is nothing in the Bible nor nothing in history that would support that perspective. I've read a lot about it this week, and there's just no convincing, persuasive evidence, either in the Bible or outside of the Bible, that defends that. And in fact, the Bible is very clear that if wrongly handled, it will lead to drunkenness. So just to qualify fire there. But wine or alcohol can be a gift from God if rightly handled. Now if this is troublesome to you, here's one you have to really wrestle through. John chapter 2. This is Jesus' very first miracle. His debut as someone who is much more than just a man. He's at the wedding in Cana. You may have heard this passage read many times at weddings. But we want to consider it. I'm going to read it slowly. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee. The mother of Jesus was there. So will give you a different view of Mary as well. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. So we got Mary, the mother of Jesus. We have Jesus and we have his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. This is Mary speaking. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Only Jesus' mom could say the next thing. Verse 5. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. In verse 6. Now there were six stone water jars, therefore the Jewish rites of purification, each jar holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. They filled them up to the brim. We have approximately 120 to 180 gallons of water right now. Verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars of water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. And when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, 
though the servants who had drawn the water he knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. When people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. In other words, Jesus made real wine, approximately 120 to 180 gallons of wine. Jesus made good quality wine, so much so that the man who was in charge of the wine was so shocked that not only was there more wine, but there was good quality wine. Say at a normal party, everybody drinks the good wine first and then drinks the cheap wine at the end. But Jesus had it reversed. Jesus made the wine and he intended that the people at the wedding feast would drink the wine. And Jesus himself drank wine. We know that from the Bible. We know that when he encouraged the the introduction to communion. We also know it by the accusations that the religious leaders said to Jesus. In Matthew eleven nineteen, Jesus says this, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. And they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So I believe from Scripture you can say that wine, alcohol, can be, if rightly used, a gift from God. Now Jesus never sinned in his use of alcohol. And we know that because Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus never sinned. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet he never sinned. But he's able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. So if you're prone to abuse and misuse and be enslaved to alcohol, Jesus can sympathize and he can help you. But alcohol is a gift from God if rightly handled. Here's a quote by the author of this book, Brett McCracken, on the subject. It says the following, Alcohol, like food or any number of things in God's created world, is a good thing that can become a bad thing if we consume it recklessly, excessively, or selfishly. It's a good thing that can become a bad thing if we consume it recklessly, excessively, or selfishly. It's good insofar as we consume it, not as something we must have, but as something we can have, as a special delight of God's glorious creation, which includes man's creative, fermenting genius. The freedom to drink should not be a freedom to drown one's sorrows, prove a point, or get a fix. It should be a freedom that fixes our eyes evermore on Christ, the giver of life who turns water into wine and makes all things new. Now I realize there are some of you in the room that either from personal experience or family history, spouses, moms, dads, uncles, you, this seems foreign to you. You have never experienced or witnessed a Christian or anyone handle alcohol in a way that is appropriate, that does not lead to drunkenness, that does not lead to harm. And so 
this, this, can, this can be hard, and I, and I understand that. But the thing you have to wrestle through with Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament, when, when the Bible speaks of wine, it associates with blessing. And when it speaks of removing wine, it, it, it's, it's a punishment. And so there's this positive picture. I want to be crystal clear. Drunkenness is a sin. Getting drunk is a sin. It is always wrong. It is completely wrong. Ephesians 5.18 says the following, And do not get drunk with wine. Put in beer, vodka, anything you want to put in there. For that is debauchery. That is sin. That is, that is indulgent sin that a Christian should have nothing to do with. Do not get drunk. But be filled with the Spirit. This is a clear command from God. There's no gray area on is it okay to get drunk? Is it okay to abuse and misuse alcohol? In fact, in Galatians 5, Paul, with a long list of sins, says something very sobering about the use of alcohol in regards to drunkenness. Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so, drunkenness is clearly sinful. It is wrong. It is always wrong. And what Paul's saying in Galatians 5 is if you have an ongoing pattern of drunkenness and you profess to be a Christian, he's warning you. He's warning you. If you practice, if you are enslaved to the point where you indulge over and over and over again, that's not in keeping with the new life that God has for us as his followers. Few more thoughts on drunkenness. According to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 2, you cannot be a pastor or a deacon, a leader in the church of any kind, if you are a drunkard. If there is a pattern of drunkenness in your life, you cannot, you're disqualified. You're welcome to the church. You cannot be a leader. So it is possible, I believe, from the Bible, for a Christian in our country who is 21 years or older to enjoy a glass of wine or drink a beer in such a manner that there is self-control in the amount they drink and there is a genuine enjoyment from God, that it's a gift from God and they're not creating a temptation for anyone else. It is possible. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So in other words, I'm trying to make a, a case for an appropriate, moderate use of alcohol as acceptable according to the Bible. It's not something a Christian has to do, but it does fall in the Christian freedom category. But by the looks on your face, you'd all agree, it's not that simple, is it? It's more complicated. It's more complex. Which brings us to the second point which answers the question, alcohol, a gift from God 
or a poison to abstain from. Number two, alcohol possesses an inherent danger and its misuse and abuse have harmed and hurt many. Alcohol possesses an inherent danger in and of itself and its misuse and abuse have harmed and hurt many. There's a real tension in Scripture. One, where it's a gift from God. Two, where there is an inherent danger that we would be wise to be aware of. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by by it is not wise. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink, a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Wait a minute. What happened there? What happened to alcohol being a gift from God to, to be enjoyed? Well, it's the tension of Scripture. God created it. The problem is with us and how we handle it. But alcohol has some unique inherent dangers and temptations. Strong drink can be a brawler. It can beat you up. It can beat you up from the inside out. Those of us who have sinfully drank large amounts of alcohol have gotten beat up from the inside out. And some of you have gotten beat, beat up from the outside in from others as, you, as your tongue became looser and you said other things and you got fists in your face. It is a brawler. And wine can be a mocker. It can start out looking very innocent. By morning, it's a mockery. And here's the thing. In our culture, in the United States, it's a very complicated issue. Because there has been real harm that has happened and continues to happen with the misuse and abuse of alcohol. And advertisers... Beer advertisers, whiskey advertisers, they have this incredible way of making alcohol look extremely fun and completely innocent. And just think of any beer commercial or whiskey commercial you've seen. I've never watched a commercial where someone was throwing up on themselves. (laughs) And they said... Buy this, drink a bunch of them, and you will vomit more than you ever have in your entire life. And then when you wake up, you will have the worst headache you have ever experienced in your entire life. And you will be miserable. And then people will tell you things that you did the night before that you have no recollection of. Buy our beer. It's not like that. It's always attractive, healthy people that have everything together. That has not been my experience when I have been in contexts where people have drank large, sinful amounts of alcohol. And that's not what the Bible says either. Look at Proverbs 23, verses 28 through 35. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? So we've got woe, we got sorrow, we got strife, we got complaining. Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who, try, who go to try mixed wine. 
Do not look at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. So picture the sea, it's moving, you're up at the top. And you're, you're, really, you're really rocking. 35. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. Boy, this could be read in AA meeting. I mean, this is the description. This is the life of someone who is enslaved to drugs or alcohol. They have woe, they have sorrow, they have strife, they have complaining, they have redness of eyes, they've gotten beat up, they are stumbling all over the place, they see strange things, they have complete blackouts at times. They don't know what's going on. And they wake up, and they drink again. I must have another. Alcohol in itself does have inherent dangers. Because indulging it, drinking it in a sinful way, will cause great harm to yourself and potentially to others. Let me read between the lines on verse 32. In the end, it bites like a serpent, it stings like an adder. When someone is sinfully drunk, they have venom coming out of their mouth at times. And some of you have been on the receiving end of that venom. That's why you want nothing to do with it. And I think that's very understandable. And it, it is reckless. So as we, we think about the use of alcohol, we've got to realize there's some inherent dangers and the misuse and abuse have and will cause great harm. And that's where Proverbs, I think, comes in. In, in Proverbs, you have three main characters. You have the wise, the simple, and the fool. The wise fears the Lord, wants to get wiser. The simple is naive. They're not full out rebellious. But let's say when it comes to the subject of alcohol, they may not see the inherent danger. They might not know where the line is of drinking a beer to enjoy it as a gift from God and sinfully indulging in alcohol. And then the fool just pours it down their throat day after day and becomes a slave. It has some inherent dangers. I've read you know, a number of things on the subject, and a lot of Christians like to compare alcohol to indulging in food. And I think there's some parallels there, because the Bible says we're not to be gluttonous, we're to enjoy food as a gift from God. The difference is, if I go to the meadows today, and buy a couple tubs of ice cream, go home and eat every single one of them in one sitting, what will happen to me? I will be full. I'll have a stomachache. I can get in the car and drive my kids to the hospital if there's an emergency. I can pay my bills. I can come to work. Nothing major is going to happen. If I chug a gallon of wine in one sitting, what's going to happen? Because of the inherent potential for drunkenness, I'm going to be, to some degree, described in Proverbs 23. 
So, I think for the simple in Proverbs, the Lord would encourage us to be wise, to, to realize there, there are some dangers. So we have to think through it carefully. doesn't mean you can't enjoy as a gift from God, but you have to, to realize what it is that, that you're considering. Because alcohol does impair our judgment. It's one of the other inherent dangers. In Proverbs 31, verses 4 and 5, the author says, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drinks, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Why? Because there's some impairment that could come. Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. So it can impair, it can affect judgment. Prior to being a pastor, I worked in the drug and alcohol field for a little while. And I, one of the things I did was teach DUI classes at the open door. So, so men and women of all ages who would get arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol, having a blood alcohol level of .08 or higher in the state of Pennsylvania, would come to the classes. And you know what was remarkable about these classes? No one in that class said they had ever gotten drunk when they got arrested. So they all had one or two, maybe three beers, and they all had somebody else to blame. But the breathalyzer said something else. So some of them had like a .24, which is a huge amount of alcohol. All of them were well over the legal limit. Alcohol impairs our judgment, and it also impairs our self-assessment of how much we actually drank. So if I say, or you tell me, Let's say you get arrested for a DUI. You, on the breathalyzer, you blow a .08 or higher. To do that, if you're a 180-pound man, all that means is you had four drinks in one hour. So you might say, Joe, I just had a glass of whiskey. Well, if you had an eight-ounce glass of whiskey, that's the equivalent of four shots of whiskey. So you are impaired, you are not safe to drive, and you are over the legal limit. It impairs us. And so we have to be mindful of that. still believe it can be enjoyed as a gift from God, but it has to be carefully considered and thought through. And you have to know yourself. If you are prone to the enslavement of alcohol, then you have to be very careful with alcohol. If alcohol... To drink it is not to drink a beer, but to drink ten or a case. Then for you it's sin. You need to stay away from alcohol. You need to flee alcohol. It can be very enslaving. And listen to Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love serve one another. So if you're a Christian, you say, I love Jesus. He paid for my sins. I am going to heaven. But when you drink a beer, you can get quickly brought in and the shackles put back on. Well then for you, do not use your freedom to indulge. Stay away. Use your freedom to turn from Jesus. And you can imagine there's 
some of you in this room possibly, who are enslaved to alcohol or other drugs. And you can't quit. You try so hard to stop. And you cannot stop. You go to bed, you wake up, you're hungover. You promise yourself, promise God I'll never do it again. And by afternoon or evening, you're doing it again. Here's the good news for you. Jesus can set you free. He can free you entirely, completely, 100%. He has the power to set you free completely. You need to call it what it is that is a sinful enslavement to alcohol or other drugs. Then you need to run to Jesus and Jesus will set you free. Absolutely, 100% free. I know this from the Bible. I know this from personal experience. As we were singing the song this morning, I can remember laying in the middle of RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. while the Grateful Dead are playing. And I cannot move because I'm under the influence of alcohol and drugs. 19 years old. And hippies dancing all around me. I cannot move at all. And that was not an uncommon experience because I would often consume large amounts of things. Eventually, I was able to stand up. When I stood up at this concert, God made himself real to me. And the thought dropped into my mind, all you're living for will never satisfy you. Drugs, alcohol, everything that comes with it. And that started a process of reading the Bible, meeting Christians, and coming to know Jesus. And then something happened. I was born again. God's Spirit came inside me. I was made a new creation My sins were paid for. I was set free. And now, there was power to obey God that had not been there before. I was absolutely set free from drunkenness, enslavement of drugs. There was real power. Now, over the years, I've been around the drug and alcohol field professionally and had a a long-term relative, an uncle, who was enslaved to heroin. And so, after being a Christian for about two years or so, he said, you want to go to this rehab center with me? So I went just to see what it was all about. And it was men and women of all ages, teenagers, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s, all had their own story of enslavement of alcohol and other drugs. And one of the things that struck me as a new Christian was when they got up to talk, they said, I am a, I'm a drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. And then they tell their story. And I remember at that meeting thinking, oh, I've got to say something. There's more to life than sobriety. It's a wonderful gift from God, but there's, there's much more than that. And I remember a new Christian shaking, stood up front, and just said, you know what? I, I once was all those things that you just described. But now I'm a Christian. I'm a new creation. God made me alive. And that's the hope for all of us. So I know there's many of you who have relatives or friends, or maybe it's yourself, that you, you've got the shackles on still. You need to run to Jesus, and Jesus will set you free. He can help you in a way that nothing else in the world can help you. So alcohol, it can be a gift from God. It does possess inherent danger that can bring harm to others. And then lastly... What do we do with it? What do we do with the question of, is alcohol a gift from God? 
or a poison to abstain from. Point number three. Alcohol use is a matter of wisdom, consideration of others, and personal conscience. It's a matter of wisdom, consideration, personal conscience. I'm not going to go into great detail here, but for your own study, look at Romans chapter 14. The Apostle Paul has a very lengthy section pertaining to Christians who have different convictions about subjects. In the immediate context, it's over the issue of food. Should we eat meat? Should we be vegetarians? What should we do? Some had a weak conscience. Some didn't think it was a big deal at all. And he, he's speaking to that group. And, and there's, there's just great application to the use of alcohol as well. It, alcohol use is a matter of wisdom, consideration, and personal conscience. In other words, what Paul's saying in Romans is we must not judge others in this area. We don't want to judge others who drink in a responsible, God-pleasing way. We don't want to judge others who choose not to drink for a whole variety of reasons. Look at Romans 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Now the context is food, but I don't think it's a stretch to apply it to the use of alcohol. Let not the one who drinks despise the one who abstains. Let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who drinks, for God has welcomed him. The people that became new members today were welcomed into the church because of Jesus. Not because of their personal conviction on a certain subject, but it was because of Jesus. He's the great uniter. So, as we're wrestling through this subject, we have to allow personal conscience, conviction, past experiences, current situations, to give people freedom to make the decision. Are we going to stay away from alcohol because we think that's best? Or are we going to responsibly enjoy alcohol? It has to be a conscience issue. And for those of you who are, you would say you're, you're free to enjoy a beer or a glass of wine. Well, the push from, from chapter 14 is just to be mindful that there are those around us in this church, in this room, who, are, who do not have the same freedom. And so we should be able and willing to lay down our rights to drink a beer or a glass of wine if you drink, out of consideration for a weaker brother. For example, Bob Mundorf and I regularly go to a drug and alcohol inpatient treatment center to do a Bible study with men and women who are struggling with alcohol and drug addictions. Well, we would love, once they get out, court-mandated thing, once they get out, if they came to our church, we would love to welcome them into the church. They came to my home, would love to welcome them into my home. But I would never serve them a glass of wine or a beer. Because it would be a temptation for them. And so I would be willing to lay down my right out of love to serve others. So we don't want to judge. All we do, we want to do in love. And the reason I thought this subject is so important is because of the sake of Christian unity. So I just want to close with reading Romans 14, 
verse 18 and 23. Paul writes, Do not forsake, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Do not, for the sake of alcohol, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because eating is not from faith. The idea here is we're doing it for God either way. And our unity as a local church is based on Jesus' perfect life, His God-pleasing use of alcohol, His perfect substitution for our sins, His absorbing the wrath on our behalf, His raising from the dead, conquering sin and death, freeing us from every kind of enslavement, including alcohol, drugs. And because of that, if you have faith in Christ, you are a new creation. You have God's Spirit in you. And so we want to be people of this book who wrestle through it, who out of love because of Jesus, love one another. And so we can be united in Jesus even as we may have different convictions on this subject. So let me pray. And we're just going to close the meeting after I pray. Father, thank You for this church. Thank You for every story and every unique work that You have done in the lives of every man, woman, and child in this room. But we pray, Lord, we would be amazed by Your grace. We pray for power to obey You. We pray for unity in Jesus Christ. And we pray that, Lord, as our Father, You would give us gifts. You would help everyone in every circumstance to live in such a way that honors You. And Lord, may we do what the the proverb says, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. May we fear You in all of life, including how we think about and handle the use of alcohol. Lord, we love You, and we ask this in Your name. Amen.